next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Batman vs. Superman, um, one of the two epic superhero vs. superhero movies that came out in 2016. Um, of course, this version is DC because we're doing Justice League stuff. Uh, before we dive into that, I again want to thank Mr. Ryan McCrum for providing us with some intro music. Um, always love hearing that sound. Um, and also, we're available on Google Play now, so I took the stream off of SoundCloud because they are cheap and they want you to pay for a subscription, which, sorry SoundCloud, not doing it. I'm not getting any ad revenue. Um, so we're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, if you can't get them on either of those platforms, I don't really know where you're getting your podcast, but let me know and we can get to it. Um, um, of course, joined by Quinn as we are going through these uh, Justice League movies leading up to the no- November 17th release date. What's up, Quinn? How's it going? Hey, hey, everybody out there in the pod world. Doing good. And yourself? Uh, doing pretty well. Enjoying a comfortable day off on this Friday. It's a perfect day to record. Yes, sir, it is. Maybe going to get after another movie after this so we can keep this keep this stretch running yes so after batman vs superman we got suicide squad and then we're going with wonder woman um but let's talk a little bit about batman vs superman before we you know recap what happens throughout the movie um i don't know what version you watched but the only version that i acknowledge is the extended cut that's like two and a half two hours and 50 minutes long or something like that um that's the only version that i recognize because that is the best movie and that is the one that everybody should watch is that the the zach snyder director's cut yeah the the extremely long one that fills in all the plot holes that you have from the cinematic release and it's just it's more cohesive even though it's longer i mean what can you do I watched it on HBO, HBO Go, shout out to HBO, <laughs> making that available. <laughs> I don't think it was the the extended version, though, um, so maybe a little clash. I still enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I really enjoyed it actually watching it right after 
uh, Superman Man of Steel, I thought it kind of continued right off of that story extremely well. Yeah, I think we touched on this on um, the Man of Steel podcast, but there, I mean, there's probably a supercut floating around on the internet that intercuts the intro to Batman vs. Superman with the Metropolis destruction and then the ending of Man of Steel. It's actually a pretty pretty good seamless transition, which is which is nice. You get Ben Affleck in there right away. Yeah, I actually I looked for that and found uh, there's like a it's like a two gifts combined on Imgur of um, General Zod using his eye lasers cutting down the building and then Batman pulling up in his in his Jeep. Shout out to product placement. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> um, the laser beam from both view behind Zod's head, like watching where the laser goes and from Batman outside of the building line up perfectly to like where it goes in the building. And it's pretty, pretty sweet. So shout out to, to the directors and, and I guess the creative department that had to put that together. They, they did a really good job. Yeah. Not enough credit to continuity. Um, it, it's also one of those movies where we're starting off with, you know, you get a good look at Bruce Wayne as Batman, but we're not diving into, you know, Batman Begins territory or um, the early 1990s Batman where it's just a soul origin story. Um, one of the best sequences in the film comes right at the beginning where they have the, um, the theater scene with Batman's parents, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Linda Cohn. Um, I always thought that was really well done. Um, but yeah, should we jump into, uh, since we're already talking about it, should we jump into breaking down the first act of the movie? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm ready to talk about this opening scene. Awesome. Um, so of course we have the destruction of Metropolis. Um, obviously Bruce Wayne is not too happy and he reacts in a way that I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would react if your entire um, company building in a city got destroyed um, and you see people getting orphaned right in front of your eyes because, of course, he's an orphan himself. Um, so that's where we start off. And then I think it jumps, like, mm, several months later, like 10 months later, maybe? I didn't write that down. I should have wrote that down. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but in the interest of saving some time, because I did go through and watch the extended version, I, like I was telling you off pod that I just went through the bullet points. Um, so I have for act one, we have Metropolis being destroyed, um, kryptonite being discovered in the Indian ocean. That was something that wasn't really a prominent role in, uh, Man of Steel. Um, Superman saves... Lois, because for some reason she turns into a liability in this movie. Um, but that dispute in Africa is, I think it's in Nairobi or something like that, is blamed on Superman because it was set up to make it look like he went in there and just started poning bitches. Um, Batman is on this search for the white Portuguese, um, which he assumes is a man. Um, just a person that is... A criminal 
Um, we are also introduced to Bruce Wayne as Batman for the first time in that really dope house scene where there's like sex slaves in the basement or something like that. Um, he's saying he's looking for this white Portuguese um, boat to Alfred for a different reason, but really he knows that there's kryptonite that's being brought in through a boat. Um, and in the first act, Lex Luthor also gains access to General Zod's body. As we know, he was killed in Man of Steel. And then um, Bruce starts to get on Clark Kent's radar because he's, like I was saying before with that dope house scene, he's branding people and he is more of a... Um, more of a darker version of Superman from the graphic novel The Dark Knight Returns, I believe is what he's more based off of, um, which is always pretty badass to me. Yeah, absolutely. I thought maybe it might have been based off the, the Arkham video game series. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to that. Uh, definitely enjoyed playing that game with Roger back in the day. Um, but that it, it pulled me right back into that, the... Uh, Kind of opening fight scenes with Batman, and it it felt to me like I was playing some PlayStation, so that was fun. Yeah, um, internet deep dive nugget here right at the beginning. I believe the scene towards the end in the third act, um, where Batman is saving Martha, um, the fight sequence there was based off of some of the Arkham style um, video game fighting, so... That's a cool little nugget, because I know those games were widely popular and successful. Yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm going to go play some video games after this. I'm watch a movie <laughs> and play some video games. <laughs> Might as well, shit. Um, so, for Act 1, you got any notes? Anything that you that kind of stuck out to you? Um, yeah, what really sticks out to me is... Right away, just like how close Metropolis and um, Gotham are to one another, which goes all the way through to the end of the movie, um, which I think is just an interesting, just the geography of it. I, I ripped on it in the last pod um, when Clark Kent was watching some Kansas football and Lois was still at work. But now I'm thinking maybe if they're just like across the bay from one another, maybe it's like San Francisco and Oakland kind of location. Yeah. Um, so it brought the world back together in my mind. I was, I was okay. And the geography, uh, was, was a fun little play. Um, but I, I really enjoyed seeing the destruction, um, from like Bruce Wayne's perspective, like everyday people's perspective that this God figure and like two things are just like shooting through the sky fighting, um, and it really seems like, like I can totally understand why someone would hate Superman from that perspective. Like in the first, like Man of Steel, you just Superman, Superman. Like he's built up to this awesome character. So it's really cool to see in this film where you get that perspective of, man, maybe this guy isn't perfect. Yeah, I was thinking with like the as far as the geographical locations, it was more like. New York and New Jersey, um, just because, I mean, I've never been to Jersey, but it's not necessarily seen as pristine as New York, maybe, um, and maybe that, like, pl- that can play a little into, the, like, the, uh, maybe there's a little bit of an inferiority 
complex because Superman's just tied to Metropolis and um, obviously the the dark underground bat as they call him in the movie is more tied to the the rougher streets of Gotham um, I'll be interested in Justice League to see if they touch on um, the geography a little bit more because I know um, Cyborg a uh, member of the Justice League, he plays uh, or played college football at the Gotham College. I don't know if it's like Gotham City College or something like that. Um, Gotham the U. GCC. <laughs> GBU. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wonder if they'll, I don't know, maybe play a little into that. Maybe Metropolis has a college football team and it's a big like USC-UCLA rivalry or some shit. <laughs> um, I would like that. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool. I really like um, the first act of the movie because, like I was saying at the top of the pod, that um, it's it just avoids not avoids but kind of quickly goes through what made's made Batman Batman. Um, it's the whole Spider Man thing, you know. They had two different rebooted franchises rediscovering what made Spider Man Spider Man, but with Spider Man Homecoming. He's already, he's already the web slinger, you know, and he touches on it briefly. He's like, hey, I got bit by a spider. And, yeah, I mean, we all know the story. We know, all know Spider-Man, how he came to be, and we all know how Batman came to be. At this point, it's just like, hey, the guy is just a Batman, okay? We get it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, going through um, Act 2... Um, Bruce and Clark, they meet each other, um, during Act 2 at, um, Lex's little party, um, where he has a weird schizophrenic meltdown during a speech. Um, I don't know what to really make of that. It's super odd, and, um, we should touch on this, actually. What did you think of Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal of Lex Luthor? Because I know even leading up to the movie, people saw, like, his hair, and they saw um, what they were saying about the character in general, and there was kind of some backlash at this. Um, what was your take on that? Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed it, but I thought it was playing too much into um, the Joker. Like, yeah. I think he would have been an amazing Joker, actually, from how he portrayed Lex Luthor. But I actually really enjoyed the Lex Luthor character um, and how it came together because he's kind of working all sides, um, like with Senator Finch um, and getting Kryptonite. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you're kind of questioning the entire movie whether or not he's like entirely with it. But yet he pulls it together enough to like have these political conversations and to coordinate a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not sure uh, a psychopath could do, but like he somehow manipulates a lot of things um, and ends up being the true villain throughout the whole film. Yeah. Uh, So I enjoyed it, but I I did think they played a little bit too much into Heath Ledger. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he, the same thing with that Joker. He seems like he knows what he's doing without actually knowing what he's doing. Or, like, 
at least acting without really caring about the repercussions of those, but his actions just end up working out in the end anyhow. Um, I do know that um, this version of Lex Luthor, they do have elements from a, um, a comic series with Lex Luthor. Um, part of that being that this is a guy that's ahead of like the Lex Corporation, not just some you know, criminal mastermind, like he's a savvy businessman. Um, and I also think it should be noted that this is not the Lex Luthor we're used to because this is Alexander Luthor, and I guess there was an older Luthor of the past, which makes some pretty good sense considering we're also dealing with an older Batman. Um, ben Affleck has, is the oldest person that was cast in the role for Batman. Um, at the time of casting, so, um, I don't know, I, I think it's okay, like, I'm okay with the performance, and I think it's, I think what they should have done is touched a little bit more on the, like, because he obviously displays some mental health traits, um, I think they should have touched on that a little bit more, um, because that would have provided some explanation for why he acts what he does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would be it'd be nice to have a little bit more background on Alexander. Uh, he mentions his dad quite a bit throughout the film, um, especially yeah. like with the company and like in the in his home. Like, this is my dad's room and left it the way he left it. Um, so they definitely pull back to that. Um, but it almost would have been nice to like even get some flashbacks of him as a kid. Like maybe his dad did not treat him the best. Um, and I think that would have been an interesting dichotomy between like his relationship with his parents, Batman's relationship with his parents and Superman's relationship with his parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we're definitely going to touch on some parent relationships later on. Yes. Martha! <laughs> what did you but say? <laughs> it would have been, been nice to, um, to maybe get some relationships with the fathers. Cause it was in, in man of steel. They, they hit on father relationships really hard with Superman. Yeah. Um, and they like allude to that in this film. Like, Batman definitely has flashbacks where his dad's talking. Um, so it would have been it would have been nice to maybe throw that in there, especially if you're gonna make a a longer director's cut. Might as well go all in on that. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is in the um, cinematic version, but they do have actually it probably was because they're not just gonna sit there and waste this man's talent. Um, but they do have a that cut scene on the mountaintop um, with the Elder Kent uh, and Superman's talking to him. It's kind of like a fever dream, though. Um, yeah. But he, he's talking to him, getting advice. I mean, obviously this person still plays, like, a major role in his life. And um, with Lex Luthor, it's like, without touching on, you know, his clear mental health disorders, uh, it kind of just seems like he has some unresolved daddy issues. And that doesn't really make for a really well in-depth character because of it's just the opposite spectrum from what um, what Superman's dad was doing for him. And I think yeah. they could have contrasted that pretty well, but they didn't. I don't know if they will. Mm. Yeah, I think they definitely could have gone there. Maybe it might have been tough just on a a time like fitting everything into the movie maybe they've certainly wanted to but 
Batman and Superman take precedent, but I I do enjoy villains and backstories of villains quite a bit. Um, I think that would have added a nice layer to the film. Yeah, I mean, through two movies that we've watched and reviewed here, I already think they have a leg up in developing, like, memorable villains. Whereas Marvel, uh, I think we touched on this already, it's just, they're kind of forgettable. But, um, yeah, let's let's hit some more bullet points in Act 2. Um, at this same party, we get introduced to the lovely Gal Gadot um, as Diana Prince, even though it's not explicitly mentioned that this is Wonder Woman at the time, but she is. Um, she steals Bruce's surveillance device that he was going to put in the um, mainframe of the house. I don't know. Um, tech talk. Uh, Bruce will then later track down Diana and figure out what her motivations are, and it's because Lex Luthor has collected some intel on her, um, including a really old photo of her and um, Steve Trevor, which we'll get to in Wonder Woman and what all that means. Um, Bruce, also in Act 2, this is a really deep uh, Bruce part of the movie, actually. <laughs> Bruce has that nightmare um, that was actually brought on by The Flash. Um, the Flash showed him bits of what the future might look like, and... Um, we, we get a sense that it's a dystopian world that is dominated by Superman and he has like his own personal army um, and he has a motivation for doing this and it's kind of implied that it's Lois Lane that is the reason for this and that in the future she may have been murdered or killed in some way and Superman reacts in obviously the worst possible way by taking over the world. That's just, that's peak flipping out what do you what did you make of the batman nightmare scene yeah i i can just like how they're pulling batman and superman together um like uh, the build-up to that you've got superman like doing all this research through the daily planet on batman uh-huh. and batman doing all this research on superman um and i, I think they're totally aware of one another and it's almost like they're on the same wavelength and, and that dream sequence kind of just takes it to the next level of this build up to where we're headed um, yeah. in this film. Um, and I think it like totally also just justifies in Bruce's mind that he needs to get kryptonite and weaponize it and do something about this this god figure who could easily turn bad, and and, and Bruce has already, in his perspective, seen him turn bad as he ripped through buildings and, and tore up quite, quite many lives in the opening scene. Yeah, and this part, too, we didn't mention earlier that this isn't even the first, like, weird fever dream that uh, Batman has, because he has that one weird dream where he's at his... Um, He's at his parents' resting place, and the what are the catacombs? They start bleeding, and outbursts this giant bat, human figure type thing. So this is like the second one. I don't know. This scene kind of like seemed out of place, and it also seemed pretty unnecessary. Um, I feel like this is something that they could have included maybe as a 
post credit scene, possibly. Because um, they didn't really do a very good job in the exposition of explaining why the Flash shows up. Because it almost feels like he has the dream, the Flash shows up and talks to him, and then he disappears. But when the Flash is talking to him, that seems like another dream on top of a dream. So it's like he wakes up twice, like Inception, like there's three levels down. Um, but I just didn't think they explained that very well because the flashback, or the flash forward, I should say, to the um, post-apocalyptic world was the Flash's doing. Like he was the one that made that possible to show him the future, but they don't really, I mean, they don't do a good job of showing that sort of exposition. So that's why I was kind of like, I can see why people thought this was out of place and just weird and, I don't know, it kind of cut the flow of the movie for me, at least. Yeah, I, I think I think they were a little unnecessary. I'm, I'm hoping that as we move forward um, into future Justice League adventures, um, those dream sequences become, like, it just seems like there's nothing explaining it a little bit more into the storyline yet, but maybe that that's coming. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I agree with you that it, it was kind of out of place. Yeah. There's a lot of points in this movie where watching it again and, you know, just repeated viewings, you're just like, yeah, this is definitely like a, I mean, they want to bring this clash of Titans together, Batman versus Superman, but also it's like a, it's just a place setting type of movie. You know, they're putting all the chess pieces together and I think that'll help Justice League be a, a better movie, ultimately. Um, we get some pretty good little tidbits of information, though. We have the, um, in that nightmare scene, we see, like, the giant Omega sign, um, which is largely associated with um, Darkseid and the planet Apocalypse. Um, so I think this is where we get the idea that, okay, Darkseid is the Thanos of this world. Um, and we also get those parademons that we see extensively now through the Justice League trailers that these are the, um, these are essentially the, the stormtroopers or the, um, the Avengers aliens, the Shatari that come down. That's, that's essentially what they are. So pretty good setting up there for, you know, having us determine what is the ultimate objective. What are we looking past? with Lex Luthor being somewhat of a minor villain, and there's a bigger picture as to why this Justice League has to unite the Seven. Yeah, totally. I think he's, like, he's the, or Darcy's, like, the, the character that makes it worth, like, Wonder Woman going and finding all these metahumans and, and why Batman's researching them, probably why Lex Luthor's researching them. Um, so I'm excited to see that come together. Yeah, for sure. Um, act two, I have wrapping up with um, super or Batman decides that hey, it's time to face Superman. Um, this on top of everything else that happens, like the nightmare, kind of just pushes him towards the okay, Alfred. Guess what? I'm doing this. I'm going to make the giant Batman Hulkbuster um, costume. I'm going to infuse this kryptonite that I stole from Lex Luthor with um, different 
vapor bombs and this spear javelin thing that uh, would make the Night King very proud. Um, and then I said, cut to training sequence, because this is a badass training sequence for Batman. Um, it just shows him working, you know, building himself up, making him feel like he is a formidable opponent to a essentially a superhuman god that should not be able to be defeated or even matched in any way. Yeah, and I think this part was necessary uh, in the opening you basically have Superman standing there while Batman drives his car into him and just, like, flips out of control. Yeah. <laughs> and you see how much more powerful Superman is and leads to the wonderful quote, Do you bleed? Um, and I think uh, this this training sequence, though training sequences in general can probably be a little cheesy, um, we needed to see Batman working up to a level where that fight can be a little bit more realistic um, or at least give him a, a, a chance. Because at the beginning, you're like, oh, man, Superman is going to absolutely destroy him. Um, and I love a good good training scene for Batman all the time. Um, get ripped and go, uh, go defend mankind. Yeah, all superheroes should have some good training sequences. Um, I thought this was, like, this training sequence got me pumped up like i wanted to go to the gym and start flipping tires um and i, th- I thought you? It was, uh no did you? not immediately but yeah <laughs> um i thought this like the sequence was pretty necessary to add to the character of batman because they they did something different with this batman compared to bales where i mean christian bale did add muscle and like size to his frame but the bat suit in that one is more of a technological like i'm putting armor on this do you have armor that can protect against bullets and protect against canine bites as well that sort of thing whereas batman's is like it's essentially all cloth you know except for maybe the cape that can repel flames um but yeah they wanted this batman to be um like a hulking big Batman. So when he's, you know, standing in front of Superman, who we already know Henry Cavill is already super slow, that it doesn't make Batman look dwarfed in size or seem like he's completely out of his league from a visual aspect. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool that they changed that portion and, you know, went with the, the bigger silhouette Batman version in this one. I'm right there with you. Um, not to be forgotten, the U.S. Capitol building is blown up by Lex Luthor because he um, essentially, I don't know if the handicapped guy here was onto the plan. This handicapped guy, of course, he worked for Wayne um, Enterprises and was injured in the um, mass destruction of Metropolis, so he's pretty vengeful. Um, essentially turns into a terrorist, but I don't know if he knew within his wheelchair that Lex gave him that there was explosives in it or if he was essentially a person that was manipulated into killing himself would make Lex Luthor like 10 times darker depending on how that played out which we don't really get the Uh, details on I definitely read it as Lex Luthor manipulating Um, I think later Lex Luthor talks about how he got Batman to flip basically by sending him 
the checks with writing on them, like that was Lex Luthor sending him those checks. Yeah. Um, which were supposed to be the checks from, um, what's the guy's name in the wheelchair? Um, I forget his name, but yeah. He was... Civilian, civilian Wayne Corps worker guy. Yeah, he uh, was Wayne supposed to guy. be, he was supposed to be taken care of, essentially, by yeah. Bruce Wayne. And I, I get the feeling that he probably was being taken care of and Lex manipulated um, quite a bit, whether it had been stealing the checks and making it seem like Bruce Wayne forgot about him um, or something darker, um, doing some mind tricks on him. Because Lex Luthor seems to have that effect on on many people and, and set him up to, to do some destruction in the Capitol building. Um, and I think that scene had a lot going on, like Senator Finch recognizing it and Superman not recognizing it. Um, and then it, it seeming like Superman could have been at fault even more than anyone else somehow. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how the person in the wheelchair got the explosives in, whether that was through knowledge or if he was manipulated into just going there and not knowing that that was the case, um, because just everybody explodes. I mean, everybody dies except Superman. I mean, the only real thing we learn is that Lex Luthor might be super batshit insane with no empathy um, for somebody that doesn't even have legs. And also Superman can't see through lead. So I think that might be a, a pretty big point in the future. I don't know. They made they made a pretty big deal. I thought of that or of Superman being like, oh, I couldn't see it. I didn't see through it, and I don't know. I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah, absolutely. And throughout this whole movie, I think they're alluding to things that are coming. So we shall see. Yeah, definitely. Um, so queue up Act Three. Um, essentially, it's it's your standard superhero. Um, act of the movie, except this time we get two different uh, fight sequences, which is, um, you know, kind of a different contrast to Man of Steel, where it's just us against them type of thing. Um, actually, now that I think about it, there is kind of two different fight sequences for Man of Steel. Because it's, it's fighting the world engine, and then he has to fight General Zod. In this case, it's Batman versus Superman, and then... Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman against another evil, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, so during this act, Lex Luthor abducts Martha Kent um, as blackmail essentially for Superman to engage in fighting with Batman for somehow, maybe Lex Luthor didn't know that Batman was gearing up to fight Superman, but maybe he did in a way because he Batman stole the kryptonite. Maybe he figured that was his ultimate endgame. So they end up um, getting head-to-head. Um, and then we get the the final clash. You know, this is what we came for. This is the title of the movie where they Batman and Superman start throwing down. Uh, Superman realizes that Batman is smart and uh, he has some ingenuity to him, as we talked about in Man of Steel. Uh, Superman is not necessarily a trained fighter anyhow. He just happens to have super strong abilities, but he doesn't necessarily know how to 
utilize you know the warrior mentality possibly um and batman has gadgets you know he's got tricks um what, yeah what were your takeaways from the the big battle scene here yeah so two there's two interesting points that i think you bring up right away uh talk about lex um i think this is where the psycho like somehow geniusly maneuvers everything into place and mind tricks everyone um I think he sets up Batman to steal the kryptonite. Like, I think he's leaving him clues the entire way that he's bringing in the kryptonite. He knows how Batman feels about Superman up to this point um, and is fully aware that Bruce Wayne, Batman, is going to steal that kryptonite once he gets it into his lab, uh, which happens, and he has to know who stole it. Like, it seems like their paths have crossed prior to this film and will continue to cross Mm -hmm. um which i think is interesting how lex is fully aware of relationships um his relationship with batman and batman's relationship with superman and superman's relationship with martha kent um, and and pulls some strings to make it all come together for batman versus superman and then the second part of that in the actual fight uh, up until that point, Superman has no need for Batman. Um, at the Daily Planet, he's doing investigative research and reporting to call out Batman and call out Bruce Wayne um, and his form of, of vigilante justice. And he like wants to bring Batman down um, because he's Superman and uh, I don't need any help. I don't need somebody else like this out there. Uh, but in this scene, he recognizes... Batman's use in his universe um, or in the world as a whole and it's very it's a very cool like I don't know 30 minutes of the movie where all that comes together yeah in the traditional sense Lex Luthor is like um, I mean he's clearly more of a Superman villain but when you're seeing how these guys are kind of going back and forth with their own plans but the their paths are obviously intersecting it seems like lex Luthor would be a great villain for batman himself um at this point both of them are the head honchos of powerful corporations um they both have like genius level intellect um obviously one is fighting for good one fighting for evil that's pretty essential when you have a bad guy um (laughs) Uh, and yeah. they definitely have crossed paths before. Like Lex Luthor is the one who introduces them in quotes, introduces Batman and Superman in the their, the gala scene. Even though all three clearly know who the other people are. Yeah. Um, so I would I would actually love a a Batman versus Lex movie. Um, I think that would be an interesting battle as well. And and it seems like they've already done battle in in some form, whether it be in the business world or in the world of high crime and world domination. Yeah, right. It makes you wonder, too, during that scene where they're getting the introductions, how quickly Clark Kent must have risen into the, you know, obvious high society that they have with this gala party and whatnot. Um, 
making some moves. Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. <laughs> yeah, we, we ripped on him for not having the credentials to get that job in the last film, but uh, he got his foot in the door and he's making the most of his opportunity. <laughs> Gotta be the charisma. Um, but the Batman vs. Superman fight, obviously Batman has all these um, kryptonite weapons which weakens Superman. Who Superman wants to not fight but he wants batman to be like to listen at least like hey there's there's a different evil i'm not your enemy we have a common interest at stake here that you're not seeing batman um they end up resolving their dispute over their mommy issues um because both of their parents were named martha um which i did not see coming <laughs> I thought that was super, like, kind of out of left field, but then when you're thinking about it, you're like, shit, they're, both their parents are named Martha, and I never realized this even once before. Yeah, I didn't either. That came out of, like you said, yeah, it came out of left field. Um, I wonder if Zack Snyder, like, was knew that going in, or was like, how do I, how do I end this fight? It's like and he it got clicked. to that scene and then he realized, like, oh, that's what I can do. Yeah, it was, it was like a, I don't know, almost like a goosebumps kind of scene just because of how much they built up that relationship with both of their parents um, and both having very different relationships with their parents, like Superman's in this perfect American family um, and Batman is raised in this like mega rich family who then he becomes just him and him basically like it, it, it was a wonderful moment in the movie where they realize they have so much in common all the way down to their moms having the same name and their love for their family and like, they're both very protective people of their worlds, um, and they put that together. Yeah, I think the the action scenes are just so... I mean, they're big. They're massive set pieces. Things are exploding. Um, they're really well done, but what ultimately they need to kind of focus on and draw the story to is developing the characters. Because um, I know that's what... Um, Essentially, that's what Marvel thrives on, is developing its main heroes. Um, I mean, obviously, like, their best characters are, um, you know, Iron Man, who's dealing with anxiety and post-traumatic stress, you know, just being a relatable hero. Uh, you have Captain America, who's, I mean, this isn't all that relatable, but he's basically trying to fit into a new society after being buried in ice. <laughs> You know, I think yeah. we can all relate to that feeling of, you know, wanting to fit in in a world that doesn't make sense to you. Um, and yeah. that's, that's essentially what they need to do. We talked about that in Man of Steel, um, trying to bring, like, a human nature to Superman because he is this all-powerful being that essentially can't be destroyed. Um, so I think their best route is building up these characters, giving Batman a little bit more depth. Um, and I think you will see that in Justice League as well because they brought in um, Joss Whedon, I believe, from the Marvel world to kind of 
Disney-fy the Justice League a little bit, add some levity and hopefully some good character development, make you feel related to them. And they do a good job of that in Wonder Woman already, which we'll, we'll get to eventually. Yeah, I think you're touching on the big point of why we love superhero movies. Like, yeah, everyone loves, or maybe not everyone, people love action, absolutely. Um, but the reason why we read these stories, watch these films, uh, maybe you feel some connection. Like, there are certainly people who are Superman people, and there's people who are Batman people, um, and Spider-Man people. Like, they all have some quality about them that endears a, a certain kind of person to that superhero. Um, mm. I think we're never going to get sick of superhero movies and, and superhero stories because we're trying to find something as humans to relate to, and we find that in these superheroes who are battling these big battles of things exploding and buildings collapsing, but they also have these inner battles, um, much like our everyday inner battles as, as people. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a good point, too, is that it, it says a lot about the current state of movies, because people want to talk about how, I mean, movies nowadays are either remakes or superhero movies, and... You know, in in this case, people either want to see themselves in a superhero or already do see themselves in that superhero mode, whether that's, you know, not being able to fit in, um, you know, trying to find the strength to do what's right, um, being able to fly, that sort of, I mean, not actually being able to fly, but wanting to be able to fly. <laughs> um, those are the sort of things that people want to see, like, reflected. They want to see themselves in that movie. I'm trying to think of a, a more recent story that's come out where people can actually relate to. I mean, you have um, Oscar winners like Moonlight. Um, that's something that you can see yourself in. But then, I mean, you have some other movies where it's not necessarily you, you know, some character pieces that, I mean, they're good in storytelling, but the audience doesn't see themselves in that role. So I think that's pretty important to remember and that just because they are you know super beings running around in tights doesn't mean that they're not developing meaningful stories too yeah completely um i think the most popular movies right now are are superhero whether it be wonder woman thor spider-man um all the way back to like deadpool um i think all of those characters I haven't seen Thor yet. Um, but I think all of them have something about them that, like, a section of our society that they, like, looks up to or relates to or wants to become or already sees themselves as. Um, and I, superhero movies are just always going to be around. So the rest of the movie culture is going to have to step up, I guess, and, and compete. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you can look even within the sphere of superhero movies itself um getting a little off track from the movie here but i think this is important um what makes a difference between like the black widow character on the avengers side is that she's kind of just a character that we haven't really seen a lot of backstory into and a lot of emotion right up front whereas the hulk he's essentially dealing with actual inner demons, which I think is something that people 
you know, can obviously relate to. Some people are battling things, you know, deep down inside, and obviously the big green monster is the manifestation of those sort of things. So it's just, I don't know, that's why I think there's a, a big difference between even, you know, lesser superheroes in the universe, like uh, Falcon or um, Black Widow. I mean, they finally gave Hawkeye, like, a family so he can be more <laughs> relatable, but it's like, you know, you, you see yourself in these superheroes, and that's why, I mean, that's why we love these movies, that's why we want to watch them and talk about them and not trash them entirely like, you know, pretentious film critics do. Yeah, completely, and like, this Batman vs. Superman probably wasn't the best widely received film, because it, it's got a lot going on mm-hmm. um, as a film, like building up different stories, but I think it's like, this film itself, if, like, pulling it back to this film, was big to setting up Wonder Woman, like, Wonder Woman was going to succeed without this film, but yeah, I the most captivating moments in this film I thought was the introduction of Wonder Woman um, and the introduction uh, of about Batman in the beginning and, and him pulling into this world of Superman. Um, I think the characters themselves in the superhero worlds are, are very rich characters. That's, that's why we can continue to make superhero movies and you can make a Dark Knight and you can make a Wonder Woman. You can make spider-man homecoming like there's just a lot of story there that people are always going to relate to yeah i think wonder woman is a great character we should get to her popping up here again in act three but um i do think we'll touch on this when we get to the wonder woman podcast that that is a perfect movie to me um but yeah they Let's get back to it. They resolve their little dispute. They realize that they got to go save Martha Kent, which Batman does in glorious fashion, as we talked about earlier, fighting um, with some Arkham-style combat where he's not pulling punches. Like, he's fucking people up, and these guys have weapons and knives, and he's like, all right, like, I got to put these guys down, and he does just that. He's smashing faces into floors. He's throwing like actual wooden crates he's bursting through whole walls to attack people (laughs) which i think is just freaking awesome um during this time too we have liability lois she throws the um, kryptonite spear that batman had created into a, a water hole essentially that gets buried um which we'll eventually see is a weapon that can be used to cre- um, to defeat Doomsday, who comes to life because Lex Luthor is fucking with some shit that he doesn't understand. Um, he takes General Zod's body and brings him into the chamber, and Doomsday grows, and Doomsday is just this massive Hulk-like character that every time he is attacked, he gets stronger or absorbs more ability, something like that. Um, the Doomsday reveal, though, is kind of controversial because they, I th- believe, in like the second or third trailer for the for the Batman vs Superman movie, they already like showed that Doomsday would pop up and like that would be the ultimate uniting force. Um, well, what did you think of the whole Doomsday sequence and the battling and? 
everything like that. I loved Wonder Woman popping up. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. And then they play the Wonder Woman Amazonian theme in the background. I'm like, yeah, it's about to go down. Yeah, it totally sets up for Wonder Woman to steal the show. Um, it, I mean, it serves as that wonderful coming together for Batman, Superman. Um, I think, though, all the way up into this, you get the like one of the best lines in the movie from from Alexander Luther saying, "If man won't kill God, the devil will do it," um, which he like alludes to gods and, and demons throughout, like with his painting in his in his home. Um, and all the way to the end of the film, that painting's referenced back again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, totally, again, is some just wonderful storytelling on just that arc. Like, I, I want to know so much more about Lex Luthor um, and why he's so obsessed with that culture of God and, and devils and... God's coming down from Earth, or, the devil, or God's coming down from the sky, or it's actually the devil and and his role and how he sees himself in there. Um, I'm curious though, like how did Lex Luthor know how to create this doomsday, or did that just happen because he was fucking around and? Oh, they explain this. It kind of happens quickly, though, and just based on the duration of the movie, you kind of, I guess, forget that this portion happens, which is why I guess it could have been cut together a little bit better. Um, when you were talking about the best line in the movie, I thought you were talking about the part where um, Wonder Woman shows up and Superman's like, she with you? And Batman's <laughs> like, I thought she was with you. <laughs> I thought that yeah, was good. That's on my list of, of funniest moments in this film. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great line. Um, but when Lex gets access to the Genesis chamber, um, he uses Zod's fingerprints to kind of gain access to everything within there. So he gets a whole just breadth of knowledge that he um, starts to... I mean, he's a he has genius-level intellect, so he's able to absorb all this information and... Um, they teach, or the ship essentially teaches Lex all this stuff, um, even the illegal stuff, which the artificial intelligence tells him that it's illegal to uh, essentially reanimate a being into uh, a Frankenstein's monster type of deal. Um, I don't know, I kind of thought they wasted Doomsday a little bit. Um, Doomsday is obviously a formidable villain. I think he's a little bit more sentient in the comics, though, where he's not just a a, a grunting alien monster that can't speak or have any sort of thought processes. Um, I mean, they they kill Doomsday essentially. I mean, it, it's that superhero question. I think we can ask it right now. Are we sure Doomsday's dead? Um, I'm sure Doomsday's dead. Um, because I feel like they would have alluded to him coming back to life if he wasn't. Fair. It seems like how they they end these. Um, but I mean, we we did see Batman or not? Batman, we saw Superman come back to life in this film after getting nuked in the sky. Um, yeah. And it, so yeah, maybe you know that there's always there's always an opening 
We don't entirely get the closure there. Um, I'm okay with them pulling Doomsday out because I think it also like alludes to Superman being God essentially. Um, yeah. And 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 this Jesus figure like coming out from the sky and and bringing a Doomsday Judgment Day and and that being here and like present in our world of a, an ending to our world um, but yet how these superheroes and along with man like Batman as a representative of man come together to, to push that doomsday back um, but maybe that's deeper than they meant to go <laughs> yeah I mean essentially there's there's still a ton of other villains that they could bring into the fold i mean obviously we'll talk about a whole series of villains in suicide squad next um i mean they could bring in a lot of other more metahuman type uh villains i mean there's still metallo or like reverse flash that could make just as big of an impact as doomsday um bouncing off of that genesis chamber there is the deleted scene where um Lex Luthor, he gets the vision of what's coming because you can see him speaking with Steppenwolf, which is essentially um, Darkseid's first lieutenant, basically, um, commander of his armies or something like that. Um, so Steppenwolf is also another one that's kind of a... not the main villain, but he's up there in the hierarchy that could essentially take the role of Doomsday... Um, or at least take the slot. Um, but going through, we get... Well, we should touch on Are We Sure Doomsday's Dead a little later, but um, Superman dies. So the kryptonite spear uh, weakens him just enough. It's essentially a Doomsday Superman kill each other. Superman spears Doomsday with the kryptonite um kryptonite spear the head of that um just being around that weakens superman enough to essentially feel the effects and it brings him back to human level when he's around kryptonite so he gets impaled by doomsday's giant rock claw spear thingy um and superman dies and lois lane is sad and everybody else in the world is sad because they realize that they love superman and they want him back and yeah. Justice League Assemble. <laughs> Basically, you can't... I mean, after Superman's death, we've, we've got the, the funeral scene, uh, which which brings me to another... Um, just a powerful quote from, from Bruce Wayne, um, saying, We fight, we kill, we betray one another, but we can rebuild, we can do better, we will, we have to. Um, and it like leads up to... The Superman monument, and I, I can't help but think about our world today, and I'm sure it's true at like any instance in history that we have all these battles going on as as people and ideas, and often tear each other down quite a bit. Um, and, and at the end of the day, there's there's always Bruce Wayne to get us back on track to to empower us to do better and to to make our world better. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad it's like a, a non superpowered being bringing this to light because he's 
essentially saying here that it's it's the people that have to take over. Um, I think going to your point about today's society in that I think a lot of us do expect like this all mighting, you know, deus ex machina to come save us from all the world's evils, which is what Superman is, but we don't have that. So it's it's up to us, you know, we have to kind of galvanize and, you know, put it, take the responsibility, put the responsibility on our own shoulders. And Batman realizes this, even especially because he's not a super powered being, whereas like you get most superhero types, they're like, I have all this responsibility on my shoulders and I can only do it myself. And Batman's just like, well, I know I can't do this by myself or do this forever. So... Yeah, and I think throughout the different Batman franchises, he wants to give the power to the people to to fix the world themselves and to like give them a blueprint or to at least be a, a role model or something to strive towards. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Lex Luthor gets put in jail. Um, he has the conversation with Batman where he kind of tells Batman that, hey, there's more than you know going on um the bell essentially has been rung um he knows this not i mean without the extended version or without the deleted scene it kind of makes it look like lex luthor is just posturing and you know speculating about worse evil which can kind of be like okay yeah this is a bad guy saying bad things are still going to happen but he actually has like legitimate intel to know that uh death and destruction is coming to earth um which is why bruce ultimately has to bring the justice league together not just because you know things are getting rough and you know they need to team up it's because there's actually an imminent threat on the way not just a theory of bad people in the world yeah um i think this even pulls back to that Bruce Wayne, Batman dream sequence, dream fever. Um, they both know yeah. something bigger is coming. Um, so, like, I, again, we need a Batman versus uh, Lex Luthor movie at some point because um, they seem to be on the same wavelength or at least the same sphere of, of life, business, um, messed up relationships with their parents and family and... Now they are really both seem to have this extra knowledge of things happening um, and how they're going to either stop that, protect the world, or in Lex Luthor's case, move himself into a way to benefit from it. Um, excited for things to come with that. Yeah, um, well, that's essentially the end of the movie. Um, we get Superman, we can see when his coffin is being buried that some of the pebbles may be moving or experiencing anti-gravity type of thing, so I think it's pretty obvious that Superman is not dead, that's not a spoiler. Um, Did you, like, would you have thought the movie would be better just without that final scene of Lois dropping the dirt on his coffin and then the dirt rising back up? Mm, I don't know. I I think it still leaves us with the question: What Superman is coming back? Because there is 
they do take elements from the Death of Superman storyline, where Superman comes back as like this long-haired, grizzled beard Superman who has, um, and you kind of see elements of this with his, um, his coffin at the the bigger ceremony that's at like the U.S. Capitol, um, where the coffin is black and has a silver Superman logo, which is kind of emblem, um, is emblem symbolizes the um, death of Superman costume that he comes back with, kind of ditches the yeah. red, blue, and yellow. Um, I don't know. I think. I think it's okay. I mean, people would have been like, okay, well, we know Superman's not, like, actually dead. Like, they wouldn't just kill him off in the second movie. And also, that's why I keep asking, are we sure Doomsday's dead? Are we sure Doomsday's not, like, slowly recovering? Because this is a creature that can't be killed. And in the comics, I believe they send Doomsday to, like, the end of time so he doesn't have anybody to fight. Like, they use time travel, basically, to defeat Doomsday, because he can't actually be destroyed, and it's kind of one of those things where, who knows, maybe Doomsday will be back in a different fashion. I don't know. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Um, like, what we know about Superman is he gains strength from the sun and our atmosphere. Yeah. Um so in the meantime, like, where are you going to put Doomsday that he's not going to get hit by the sun? Uh, like he's in our atmosphere and going to grow powerful uh, at some point. So yeah, I can, I can see that um, coming back into play, um, which also makes me ask, like, why did they bury Superman? Like, he could probably benefit from some sun. Yeah, that's, um, that's my glass shatter moment is... Why didn't anybody think to put Superman, like, directly in the sunlight? Because he literally... I feel like he's dead because he looks like a freaking zombie skeleton while he's floating in space after a nuclear warhead, like, vaporizes him. But the sun essentially regenerates his cells. And that's what they say in Man of Steel, that the, the sun of the Earth, like... Superman will drink its cells and its radiation and he'll be powerful and that's why he is the way he is. Why didn't anybody put him in the sun? Why did they bury him underground where he can't get any sun? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, or unless that builds to something like it takes him longer to come back because of that mm-hmm. um, and if they would have left him in the sun then we wouldn't have any, any future problems or we wouldn't have a need for um Bruce Wayne to do some more research on metahumans in, in Superman's absence. Um, I, I kind of wish that they just didn't have the dirt levitate. Like at the end of the day, we all know Superman's going to come back. He's like, he's Superman and yeah. there's more movies to be made. Um, I would have liked it to just have ended with a, a somber Lois Lane dropping in the dirt and them burying Superman so that I could then just ask the question, why did they bury him? Now he can't come back, um, or at least it'll take a long time for him to come back because it'll be tough to get our atmosphere's energy in that state. Yeah, based on the Justice League trailers too, I think this will be something that Lois Lane has some issues dealing with because um, you can see in the trailer that she's 
still in Kansas, like, at the events, of, at least at the beginning of Justice League. I don't know if that's going to be something that lasts throughout to give Diane Lane some more screen time. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's something that she's going to have trouble dealing with, and she's having dreams about Clark being alive, and she knows he's not, and... Um, that's that's something that they could play on a little bit more. I'm glad that they at least tried um, and make like get you to have an emotional reaction, even though we know Superman's coming back. Because I know with um, Captain America: Civil War, people were kind of thinking they'd go off the actual comic book Civil War storyline where Captain America is killed in the end, but I mean everything is literally all hunky dory in Disney with the Avengers universe and nobody significant has died yet. I don't, can't recall really Quicksilver who was, who was there for a movie. <laughs> um, that that's literally about it. Um, so I'm kind of glad they tried at least. Yeah. And I, I'm all for an audience feeling that, that question, like what's wrong with leaving the movie, having that question of, is he there or not so yeah and if it's not is he alive or dead it's what version of superman is going to come back which is i think pretty interesting um because we do get those flash forward nightmares of a dystopian superman being super pissed and we know that there can be a different side to him so um makes you wonder if they're gearing up towards that um but movie notes um it's time for the post pod. Uh, we kind of touched on a lot of the internet deep dive stuff that I got throughout. Um, Batfleck, Ben Affleck, he was cast as uh, Batman, which I was super pumped about. Um, he got down to 8% body fat and added 20 pounds of muscle. I believe when he was cast, he was like 43 years old. Bat, like Ben Affleck is kind of my hero. <laughs> I mean, that's impressive, no? Yeah, it is absolutely impressive. I I didn't know how I felt really at, when it was announced. Like there was excitement. Uh, I think I was maybe more in the camp that was reserved, um, still clinging on to the Dark Knight series though quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, like Ben Affleck was great in this film. Um, I, I I was actually more interested by the end of it in the character that played Alfred um, being a younger Alfred than in the past. Yeah. Um, Seemed a little hipster. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was an interesting choice. Like he was like I don't know, seemed like 20 years older than Bruce Wayne. Um, and it was I don't know. It was interesting I thought. Like that made me question it I, I don't think it was maybe a, a wrong casting choice but I, I did it did at least turn the movie like I question like is that really Alfred are we, are we sure that's actually Alfred because he's pretty pretty young yeah the Alfred in this kind of felt a little bit more like a older brother than a father figure which I thought was like a, a cool take and that can cause for some better interactions I believe because Alfred's kind of just there as a voice of reason, but if he's there maybe as a voice of conflict in the future, which he kind of was towards Ben Affleck in this movie, like, 
hey, idiot, don't go fight Superman. Like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> I think that's a, a little bit better than the whole... I mean, we already get, like, a pretty good father-son thing with Superman, so it's like, we don't need more of that. We need a different type of relationship to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, what'd you think about the casting of Wonder Woman? Were you, you pro Gal Gadot? I was... It was questionable. I, I didn't understand it at first because I think we touched on this in the first... Or in Man of Steel because Gal Gadot was actually up for the role of Feora. Um, but when she was up for the role of... Um, or at least cast as Wonder Woman, I was kind of skeptical because I knew her as um, her character from the Fast and the Furious franchise. So I was just like, okay, that seems odd. She doesn't seem like the charismatic like superhero type, but just not necessarily in this movie, but in Wonder Woman for sure, like totally proved wrong there's nothing that i would say that's terrible about gal gadot as wonder woman i think she is really excellent in it um as far as casting goes i got that jamie alexander was up for the role um but that's about it i didn't find anything else yeah and i i, I loved it um i honestly thought she stole this movie at moments like watching it made me want to like just jump ahead to watch Wonder Woman. Um, she, I mean, she's a gorgeous woman, but throughout the movie, like, you have this billionaire Bruce Wayne, like, almost, like, hitting on her, and she just, like, keeps brushing him off, like, you're not in the same class as me. Like, I know so much shit, and... I've seen I'm some shit. <laughs> steps, I'm so many steps ahead of you already that yeah. I, like don't have time for you you're you're kind of in the way at this point um she throws him some some credit like she throws him the the data he's looking for um and batman proves his detective skills to find out some more um but superwoman uh i'm pretty or not wonder woman uh i'm pretty pumped up to to get to that film after this one it it zack snyder set it up to the point where Leaving it, my excitement for Wonder Woman um, is at an all-time high because I still haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you're in for a treat. I, I, I don't know. know I'm how... like being super patient with it. I've had opportunities now to see it since uh, our last pod, and I've I've just been waiting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know how. Like just based on her performance in this movie, where she essentially steals every scene that she's in. Why I didn't foresee. Like, because I was kind of surprised how awesome and good Wonder Woman the movie was. Not because I didn't think it would be bad, but because it definitely exceeded expectations. But I don't get why I didn't understand that that would be, like, a smashing success based on even a few clips of her in this. Because she's just, she's taking over. Like, she's taking all the shots and sinking them, basically. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, she looks like a superhero that's ready for multiple movies, and I'm glad that they pulled her into this Batman vs. Superman story. Yeah, they definitely retooled, after the success of Wonder Woman, um, their advertising for Justice League and kind of put 
Wonder Woman front and center, which I think is awesome because we all like know Batman, and I mean I think it's it's good not to just have it be like with the advertising it make it look like oh this is Batman and his friends right now. Um, yeah. No, it's more like hey this is Wonder Woman and there's also Batman and now we have these other three characters that we're going to be introduced with down the road, but we are like spearheading with these two. Um, but speaking of Batman, uh, Batman casting, we did this with, um, Superman cause there was a lot of them and there are a lot of possibilities for Batman, um, that were considered. Apparently Ben Affleck though was the, the first choice, like the prime top of the list guy that they wanted. Cause they also wanted him to direct not only this movie, but they want, they had him on the list to direct man of steel. Um, so, yeah, Warner Brothers, all the way in on Ben Affleck, but I always judge my Batmans based on, a, this is a uh, really controversial take, I think, but I think Ben Affleck is the best version of Batman. I think it goes uh, Ben Affleck, Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, in that order. Sorry, no recency bias out of me. Um, because I gotta see that a Batman can be both Bruce Wayne and the bat basically and i think ben affleck out of all the iterations has towed that line the best because i can definitely i'm just based on ben affleck himself believe that he would be just this playboy like billionaire kid who has a lot of cool toys um so i think he can play the bruce wayne part and i also think i mean he's like a 6'3" hulking dude with a dimpled chin so I think he can play the Batman side of that as well um, whereas I thought Christian Bale was a he was an okay Batman but I didn't really buy him as the Bruce Wayne and Michael Keaton a hundred percent Bruce Wayne <laughs> but sure but not necessarily like the maybe it was just the what they were able to do with the camera but wasn't really seeing too much for him on the Batman side um I don't know. Am I, am I way off base here, or or what? No, I, I think those are some good points. Um, and even even go back to the training scene. Like he seems like he knows what he's doing. Like he's a real detective and understands what he's up against and what he needs to do to train for it. Um, and yeah, I think he combines both the Bruce Wayne world and the Batman world really well. Um, I don't know, Christian Bale as, as Bruce Wayne was, I don't know, um, a little too much. Like, it was a little too into the Playboy aspect for me. Um, I think people gave him too much credit. Like, I get the films themselves are really excellent, but I think he is one of the weaker parts of the movie if there are weaknesses in them. Like, I, I just, yeah. I think people give him way too much credit. Sorry, yeah, I think Christian that makes Bale. sense. The storyline of, of the Dark Knight series is a, an amazing arc of what, not just superhero movies, but like any movie franchise. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't mind you putting Ben Affleck up there at the top. Um, I guess I can't really disagree with it. Yeah, I like the, the um, series of Batman movies before this. I'm not going to knock them but i think they are largely carried by the story and by the supporting cast around batman i mean you have 
Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, um, Heath Ledger's Joker is iconic in the movie Lexicon. You have, um, oh man, totally blanking. Jim Gordon, um, I, I forget his name in real life. God, I'm such a bad movie watcher. Um, but anyway, I, th I think it's supporting cast. But up for the role of Batman, we have Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who ended up playing Bruce's dad. Um, Joe Manganiello, who was up for Superman and who listeners know I love Joe Manganiello. Um, Richard Armitage, Orlando Bloom, and Luke Evans, all from essentially the Hobbit uh, trilogy. John Hamm, Gerard Butler, and Josh Brolin. What do we think That's, there? Um, and who's who's the top? Who's the one that you're like, okay, I can see him in this role and the movie's not skipping a beat? The top one for me is probably Jeffrey Dean Morgan out of that group. Um, but maybe that might have been, a, like, I don't know, too old and grizzled. Yeah. Um, but I, out of all of them, I, uh, I see him the most as that Batman in this stage. Um, it definitely seems like he's at the tail end of his Batman career with Ben Affleck. Like, he's too old for this shit. But yeah, like yeah. same with Josh Brolin. And, yeah, um, John Hamm I think would be probably pretty low on that list for me, um, just as a, a Mad Men watcher. Um, I don't know if it would have connected. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't really seen. I don't have a ton of Ben Affleck movie watching experience, but at first I was like, oh man, that's like too big of a name. Like I needed somebody not as well known, like yeah. someone that I didn't recognize or something else. But I honestly. I didn't have that effect. Like, I was in it. Like, Ben Affleck sold me. I'm Batman. And I think Jeffrey D. Morgan could have done that as well and been extremely convincing as as a Batman character, and I think it would have led to some interesting story of, of his background and Alfred and um, just that older Batman role. And old, I guess an older Bruce Wayne is an interesting character that we don't or haven't in recent movies seen a lot of. Yeah, I mean, when I'm going down this list, I think the best one to me might be Luke Evans. I, maybe it's just I'm a big Luke Evans fan, but I think he could have played the role pretty well. Um, but through this, I think there's a lot of like stark spectrum dancing here like i think jeffrey dean morgan good batman probably not a great bruce wayne joe manganiello probably a really good batman but can't really see him being the playboy um richard armitage probably a good bruce wayne orlando bloom definitely a bruce wayne but i also i think he's too pretty to play batman um john ham you could probably do both probably more of the bruce wayne gerard butler more bruce wayne and josh brolin definitely more batman i don't really see him being interested in you know ladies or um you know the the fancy party side of josh brolin to me is just not coming out so i my vote's for luke evans i think yeah he's I, closest. Can, I can see luke evans he's got a little more of like a villain makeup in my mind um yeah but maybe that's just because I, I recently watched Beauty and the Beast. Um, <laughs> Gaston. <laughs> but, I mean, Gaston could be Bruce 
Bruce Wayne. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I uh, just talk, I want to talk about Ben Affleck a, a little bit. That I think he's a relatable Boston American guy, and that's like kind of what I, I want in a Batman character. Um, but maybe like Luke Evans might have been a, a better choice than that. He seems like a a higher class, like he seems like a Bruce Wayne type of a rich playboy. Um, so yeah, I could I could see him doing well in that role. See, yeah, I also like that Batman with this and Ben Affleck is an American in the role because <laughs> Henry Cavill is not American and neither is Gal Gadot. So I think that brings a certain sense of relatability, like you were saying. He's kind of an kind of an all American dude, you know, like Ben Affleck is definitely a bro. <laughs> yeah, as much as Superman's born and raised in Kansas, like I just don't really connect with Superman um, in a way that I connect with Batman as a character. Um, and I think Luke Evans might have been a little bit more difficult for me to connect with because he he just seems so much cooler than me. Uh, maybe that's Gaston yeah. again shining through, but um, I could uh, I, I I just felt related to Ben Affleck even though I probably have nothing in common with Ben Affleck well I mean maybe both like sports I don't know it's like <laughs> alcohol <laughs> we um, like sports and we don't care who knows <laughs> we like sports um, Lex Luthor casting this one is super interesting though this one could have gone a million different ways but I think they would have gotten the same type of character no matter who else they positioned in this role besides Jesse Eisenberg, who kind of went full social network on this a little bit. <laughs> um, the studio desire was to have Tom Hanks in the role for Lex Luthor. Really? Which would have been a freaking game changer, but I don't think Tom Hanks would have been on board. Uh, well, obviously, I don't think he wanted it in general because he was the studios, like, that's who they wanted. Um, yeah. We have Matt Damon, because he, of course, is tied to every single project that Ben Affleck <laughs> does. Um, Bradley it's Cooper. Like... Um, okay. Joaqu Joaquin Phoenix and Adam Driver. Um, Bradley Cooper would have been super interesting. I think he would he might have been a little too handsome to play Lex Luthor, but I thought he would have been interesting. Adam Driver probably would have been the same... Actually, him and Joaquin Phoenix, that's why I say like I think they would have developed the same character. And I think yeah. they, would, they would essentially have been the same like crazy person in the role. Yeah, I think I would have been on board with either one of those as, as Lex Luthor, um, the psycho role. And, and they definitely get cast as that quite a bit. Um, Bradley Cooper would have been interesting because I don't think we've seen him in a role quite as psychotic as Lex Luthor uh, in this movie. So he probably would have played it a little differently. Not saying he couldn't play it that way. Um, he's so a yeah, that would have been a really interesting choice. He's a little psychotic in Wedding Crashers, though. So <laughs> <laughs> I, think I guess he's a, he's a little psychotic in Silver Linings Playbook 2, I guess. Uh, but We still might get him in this universe, because he still might be up for a Green Lantern role. Oh, that see, I'm on board. I'll green light Green Lantern as Bradley Cooper. Well, that one we we should do an extra pod where we talk about future casting because the 
Justice League with Green Lantern, it's not going to be an individual Green Lantern. I think they're going more for the Green Lantern core, where they could have like two primary Green Lanterns and then like bring a lot of other characters. Like it'd be dope to see like Idris Elba and Bradley Cooper as the two. Like yeah, we've really seen that. That'd be awesome. It'd be fucking awesome. Um, Matt Damon, I could not take seriously as Lex Luthor though. I I just think. <laughs> Is he like the Rob Schneider to Adam Sandler uh, or like, for Ben Affleck? He's like ten times more successful. I think. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but. I I don't know. I think there's something like inherently funny about Matt Damon that even when he's playing like a serious role, I'm just like, it's fucking Matt Damon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like Matt Damon right here, right now. Um, I don't know. Maybe I've just seen him do too many goofy things. Um. But yeah, well, I mean, we're running a little long on time here, so let's go through some of the other things. Um, I really want to talk about some future casting for um, what could be tied directly to Batman, because we have the Batman coming out, and Joe Manganiello is actually going to be playing Deathstroke as a villain in that movie. Um, but we didn't talk about during the movie the whole Robin um, costume in the case and how that was essentially um, the Joker, as we know, likely taunting Batman with that spray-painted message on the Batman, or on the Robin costume. Um, And there's also a Riddler question mark in the burned-down Wayne Manor, I believe. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about casting for that and who you think would be the best Riddler. so who's the best Robin? I know we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt from the original series who people really wanted to see as like a Robin slash Nightwing character um, and get him in a suit, but does Robin show... Do they get a new Robin, or do they show him as the... Because in the comics, uh, Jason Todd comes back, that Robin, um, after being tortured by the Joker, or is Robin just dead? Um, does he come back as the Red Hood? Do we get a Nightwing type of character? Um, what do you think happens there? I think we get a flashback. Um, like, for this Batman vs. Superman, I think we get a lot of flash-forwards. Um, and I think maybe in, in Justice League, we might get a flashback to what happened to Robin. Um, probably something that... Like, they had to make a choice, and Batman made the wrong choice, and it'll haunt him. Um, But I I just think there was so much foreshadowing in this movie that they needed something, like, looking back towards this universe that led up to Batman vs. Superman, like a nugget that we're going to get in um, the Justice League looking back at Ben Affleck as Batman and some villains and, and fights that he had previously to meeting superman yeah i thought we were gonna get a little bit more of that with like suicide squad because um obviously we have some run-ins there with batman but the joker was kind of a side character in that movie um we'll obviously get to that but i don't know if they go full robin in the universe i think they might just use that kind of as a as a giant chip on Batman's shoulder of why he's still like in his aging, um, aging state, why he's still doing what he's doing. Um, 
any idea if if we do get a Riddler, do you have some some casting options? Because I have two solid ones that I would like to see under the green um, hat. Yeah, my first one would probably just be Johnny Depp. Um, I, he he just seems like a wonderful Mad Hatter Riddler type. Yeah, yeah. Mad Hatter, absolutely. Um, I think he would crush that role. I think he would have. He would have actually been even like a good Lex Luthor in this film. Um, besides him, um, like maybe going with someone less obvious. Um, uh, I don't know, man. That's tough. Uh, I, I originally had Kevin Spacey written down, actually. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that didn't play out very well. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm going to recast on that. Um, a lot of people are, Johnny Depp. a lot of people are recasting. um, Yeah, rightfully so. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I guess maybe, uh, I mean, you do a little more research into that role. Uh, maybe a little bit more background, um, on every male in the world. (laughs) Right. I have two that I'm like 100% sold on that I would definitely... I would enjoy watching these guys. Um, Bill Hader as the Riddler or Michael C. Hall from Dexter. Um, I think Bill Hader can either be crazy or funny a little bit with it, kind of in the um, in the mold of Jim Carrey's Riddler. But Michael C. Hall, I mean, we've seen him play like a psychotic serial killer, but still make him feel like he's a character we want to root for. Um, on Dexter, so I think he can, I think he could play that role pretty, pretty well. Yeah, I, I think those would both be great. Um, I've got a name for you, actually, that, uh, just doing a quick search of some male actors and films I've seen, and I like John Goodman, actually, um, thinking about him from 10 Cloverfield Lane. John Goodman, I love John Goodman. <laughs> I think that would be amazing, actually, like, he's shown some amazing acting chops recently yeah um, the range is unbelievable yeah i mean i i definitely saw him on roseanne and in monsters Damn. back in the day yes. uh big lebowski but uh his his performance in ted cloverfield lane makes me believe that he could be actually uh, a really good riddler that'd be an interesting take i would totally see that i would watch that he would be does he play more of like a, a gangster in the role or I mean, because I feel like that's a little bit stereotypical for him, <laughs> but I, I'm thinking like Sopranos almost. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would still see that just because it's John Goodman. I mean, or maybe he could be Penguin if you want to go gangster on him. <laughs> um, there we go. But I, I think we need more John Goodman <laughs> acting, actually. Um, he's the one that just just from a quick search, it like clicked like, oh man, he would... He would be epic in that role. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it's always fun. I mean, we've seen a lot of just oddball casting with um, some of the earlier Batman films. Um, sure. I mean, we obviously remember the the great Mr. Freeze played by Arnold, which was pretty awesome. Um, God, who played Catwoman too? Michelle Pfeiffer. That was pretty weird. Um, I want to see Mark Strong as Mr. Freeze, though. I think he would be great. I think he has the the head for it, 
and the, I mean, he, he plays villains all the time, so I think he'd be really yeah, cool. that's he'd be a, like a Bond villain, but Mr. Freeze. That's a, per, that's a really good casting call. I would, I'd be 10 out of 10 behind that. Yes. Glad to see that you agree. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's wrap up the pod with movie MVP. Who do you think won the movie? Um, this one's a little tough for me, I think, but I don't know. Who do you think had the best performance or who was the best character that was just dealing? Um, just dealing. I, I mean, so I, I really wanted to give it to Lois Lane, uh, because I, in the last movie I harped on, like we needed to develop Lois Lane as this, uh, award-winning journalist. Um, and we definitely got more Lois Lane, like, doing journalist stuff um, and actually out there in the world and um, reporting on things and, like, showing her chops. And she, I mean, showing her chops, getting the chopper. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they developed her a little bit, but it still wasn't to where I wanted it to be. Uh, I'm going to default to Gal Gadot and, and Wonder Woman because she kind of stole that back half of the movie. Uh, she stole the gala scene. Um but, I, I mean, she's going to steal this franchise as a whole, it seems like. Right. People um, can't see me, but I'm shaking my head super hard right now. Yes. Uh, um, and, and she didn't have a ton of screen time in this, but the screen time she did have was just captivating in every way possible that I'm, I'm like, I'm itching for some Wonder Woman and more Wonder Woman and, like, an entire spin-off Wonder Woman franchise on its own. Exactly. I'm I'm ready for more Wonder Woman. I she's my MVP too. Um just because she she takes every scene and owns it. Um I kind of I agree with you. I think they should have developed Lois Lane a little bit better, but in this movie I feel like she took a step back. I think she kind of reverted to the Lois Lane that needs saving and not the Lois Lane that can save herself. Um Yeah. Gal Gadot. Totally. I I agree with you there. I t- went into it with the mindset that Lois Lane is going to be my MVP. Yeah. Um, like I had the vote written out, cast ready to send in, um, ready for Jimmy Kimmel to hand off and announce. Um, but but it was I actually Moonlight that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it wasn't up to where I wanted. Like I just think Lois Lane, the character, needs need some more developments as a whole in this series so far it's i I, we need some strong women actors or act and uh performances and the script here didn't really set her up for it um i think amy adams could do it absolutely Um, yeah she has the the ability but i think it's wonder woman i think she is gal gadot is going to be the tony stark um robert downey jr but in like a a different frame um just because she's obviously not like the the hilarious rdj but she's definitely the one that will command the screen whenever she's on like she will be in this case she is like uh robert downey jr in spider-man homecoming where he's not in every scene but when he's in every scene you're like yes there's robert downey jr there he is just dealing and that's what Gal Gadot, I feel like, is going to be with this franchise. And we might get more women, because I have um, completely subscribed to the theory that we will get um, Supergirl in Justice League as well. Nice. That would, you know, after these this last week of 
um, bombshells in in Hollywood. Um, we could use some more women. Um, maybe we could have used some more women for a long time now. Uh, I, I do. I'm vehemently agreeing with you though on um, Gal Gadot, Robert Downey Jr. being the like same for each of their their universes and franchise here. That that's a ten out of ten perfect comparison. I think. Um, so yeah, I, Gal Gadot MVP. Can't wait, Wonder Woman. Um, going back to just more women in this series though maybe instead of casting john goodman can we think of a, a woman to play the riddler yeah i mean we could definitely recast that you know see i mean spider-man homecoming definitely recast a lot of um roles into different more modern diverse um areas um or you know we could just scrap the riddler like we can do Catwoman again as like an anti-hero or Poison Ivy or give Harley Quinn more um, things to do um, than look really hot in booty shorts. You know, it's the possibilities I mean, are there. I don't need a hot Riddler, but I think it would be interesting to make one of the, the villains, the like prominent villains, a woman. I think that would just be a, a next level kind of move to make at this point. Yeah, I mean, Jenna Malone had a role in this movie, but it was essentially cut out. Um, she was supposed to be some sort of character that was more along the uh, comic books. I think of, like, Overwatch as, like, this computer tech girl. Am I thinking of the right movie? I think it's still this movie. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, movie, movie universe, Hollywood. Don't be afraid of diverse casting with female driven movies and like african-american driven movies and other sort of ethnicities like look at how well wonder woman did like look at how much freaking hype black panther is getting like black panther as a comic book character is probably more of a a b-level hero but people are psyched to go see that and like essentially every great black actor that's out there right now is in this film so <laughs> like just do it and you will have loads of success we're getting a little tired of seeing the, the stereotypical straight white male taking all these movies i mean marvel you've had like 10 years of developing this universe and all people want is a spin-off black widow movie yeah <laughs> completely uh just like, just on. a quick search of some some badass women that i i'd like to throw at you because i think you might be pretty pumped to talk these um, you recently watched Thor, right? Yes, excellent. How about Kate Blanchett coming in as the Riddler? I could see that. That'd be pretty interesting. It'd be, I could see her being more of like the, the power Riddler type, um, maybe more of a a businesswoman type of deal, or okay. I mean, I don't I mean play. Kate Blanchett's so classy. I don't see her being like a street level villain, so that's why I say more of like a a powerful. Like, How about um, woman. also a Game of Thrones guy? How about Lena Hetty? Yes, I can see her as Riddler or Pi Poison Ivy. Um, she can have some roles for sure. All right, and last one: Are you a Harry Potter guy? Oh, thousand percent. How about Bellatrix Lestrange, played by Helena Bonham Carter? Could you see uh, her coming in and, and maybe being like a penguin even? 
Yes, dude. I will see anything that Helena Bonham Carter is in. I love her. <laughs> I even liked her as Bellatrix Lestrange, and she's a, a not a character that you like in the books, but I was like semi rooting for her in the movies because she's Helena Bonham Carter. I would see anything with her in it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's just like just literally a quick Google search, and I think we could cast a pretty dope. She's been a great female. Harley Quinn too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we've been going for like an hour 40 now, so maybe we should wrap it up and let the podcast listeners go do something else. Um, I feel like this is our longest version, but guess what? This was a long movie, so. Yeah, um, it's a long movie set up for some big things coming that we'll, we'll power through maybe in less time. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go watch Suicide Squad now. I, I like that movie. I don't care what the critics say. All right, let's do it. Awesome. Um, well, Thanks for joining me. Um, I want to give thanks again to Ryan McCrum for the intro music and the outro music that we're about to play right now. Um, Again, you can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, um, Stitcher. Uh, Haven't heard anything back from Spotify, which makes me sad. Maybe I should resubmit. But um, Send a resume? Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Be on the lookout for Suicide Squad and also coming up, um, me and Roger Brandstetter will be back on the podcast talking about um, the third prequel in the Star Wars movie, Revenge of the Sith. Um, be on the lookout for that. Um, thanks for joining me, Quinn. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the rest of your, your day off. Yes, you as well. Um, thanks again, Pot Chat listeners. Talk to you soon.